Good morning. With all the things that you can be doing today, I am really glad you decided to join us as we worship our great and our glorious God. I'm also excited to be able to continue to uh, help with rolling out the series of our vision, mission, and value statements here at Greenville. Uh, last week, Tyson began that by speaking to the first of our value statements, which is the importance of biblical truth. He did a great job with that. Today, we continue the series in talking about uh, bold disciples. That's our second value, that we, we value bold disciples. So we're going to spend some time talking about that this morning. You might be asking yourself, well, okay, then what is a disciple? Well, simply put, a disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. I mean, we're learning all the time. Life is a series of learning curves, isn't it? Kind of like the, the mom who'd had a really rough day with her three-year-old. And, and when bedtime finally rolled around, uh, she said, you're getting on your PJs, you're going to brush your teeth, you're going to get to read one story, and then the light's going out. Well, the daughter wrapped her arms around her mother and, and, and gently embraced her. And mom heard the child say, in Sunday school, we learned about little boys and girls all over the world that don't have moms and dads. And the mom thought, oh, man, even after I've been such a grouch, she's grateful to have me around. And she felt the tears begin to well up in her eyes. And, and then the three-year-old whispered to her, maybe you could go be their mom. You know, parenting is a classroom that kind of lasts for years, doesn't it? As we grow older, there, there are things that we learn new all the time. We're always learning. I remember the first time that I had to iron my own clothes and do my laundry and make my bed when I was a student in Bible college. Mom had always done that before. I remember uh, uh, learning how to change the oil or check the oil and, and change a tire or rewire a light. Dad had done those things, but he taught me how to do those. And so I had to learn how to do them as well. Life, life is a learning curve. Life in Jesus is a learning curve. I, I hope this doesn't come as a surprise to you, but we never stop learning about Jesus. We never stop learning about things of faith and, and, and who God is and, and, and who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. We, we never stop learning about these things. There's always something else to learn. Each turn of the page reveals a truth that we may not have known, a, a command not fully understood, an imperative that we thought was for someone else, a, a blessing, a, a promise, a purpose not previously uh, having been made aware of. Unfortunately, there are those who think that just believing is enough. George Barnett calls that type of thinking faith in moderation. He wrote that that type of faith allows believers to feel religious without having to prioritize their faith. Christianity is a low-risk, predictable proposition providing a faith perspective that is not demanding. A casual Christian can be all things they esteem, a nice human being, a family person, religious, an exemplary citizen. They can be a reliable employee. They, they, they never have to publicly defend or represent difficult moral or social positions or even lose much sleep over their private choices as long as they mean well and generally do their best. From, from their perspective, their brand of faith practice is genuine, realistic, and practical. To them, casual Christianity is the best of all worlds. It encourages them to be a better person than if they had been irreligious, yet it is not a faith into which they feel compelled to heavily invest themselves. To be bold disciples means that we will worship. It means that we will evangelize. It means that we will intentionally make disciples. Look at it this way. Basketball coach takes his players on the first day of practice, hands each one a basketball and said, boys, 
I want you to practice shooting from the spots you might expect to be in during the game this season. One boy takes his basketball, goes to the bench, and sits down and begins shooting from there. You might think he's not expecting to play much. Well, some people sit on the bench, and, and they do that because that's what they've gotten used to doing. That's where they're used to being. They never strive for much more than that. They don't believe in themselves enough to put in the extra effort, the extra practice to change their status. So they're always going to just sit on the bench. Many Christians make Christianity a spectator sport. They sit back in church, listen to the music, sometimes sing, they'll listen to the sermons, but they never really get involved in the game. Intentional discipleship means getting off the sidelines and getting on the front lines. Intentional discipleship is, is putting into action our faith and getting involved in the lives of the people with whom we come in contact with every day. In the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, the 26th verse, we see how one early church leader was intentional. He was a, a bold learner for Jesus. So let's, let's look at Acts 8, verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside him, beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Now, there are some characteristics that we'll see throughout this passage that define bold disciples. And the first one is this. A bold disciple duplicates himself or herself. Now, Philip had come to Christ either on the day of Pentecost or maybe shortly thereafter. But he had believed on Jesus and he had become a disciple of Christ. In Acts chapter 6, it says that Philip was one of the first New Testament deacons in the church. Well, he left Jerusalem because a great persecution had broke out. You read about that starting around chapter 8. We read there that Stephen, uh, also one of the first deacons, had been stoned because of his faith. Saul, before his conversion and becoming Paul, was going house to house or arresting Christians and putting them in jail. Philip went to Samaria, not a typical place for Jews to go. He wasn't stopped, though, by any existing prejudice that he had. He, he was not afraid. Uh, he wasn't deterred by uh, any concern he might have had over his own safety? Philip heard Peter's message preached on the day of Pentecost. And now the people in Samaria are going to hear Philip's message as well. So this is not the end of the story. Let's pick up at verse 32 where it says, The passage of scripture that he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For this life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Now, duplicating disciples means that we must possess truth. We need to know what the Bible says. And, and Philip, when he heard the passage, as a Jew, he would have recognized this passage. Most likely, most Jews would have recognized that. But Philip makes the connection from this Old Testament prophet Isaiah and what he's saying about Jesus, and he makes that connection to Jesus as the one who fulfills that prophecy. The result is the Ethiopian becomes a believer. 
he believes on Jesus. So the legend has it that he goes back to North Africa, goes back to Ethiopia, and there he evangelizes that part of the country. Philip's faith was duplicated in this Ethiopian, and this Ethiopian took that faith home with him and changed his part of the world. It still happens. I want you to listen to a story about a couple that were confronted with the faith of a man, and that faith was duplicated in them. Oh, I'm Hal Langham. I've been a county resident for 63 years and a Christian for 52 years. And we have um, had an opportunity to witness to some people that were guests at our hunting lodge. And um, they've been hunting uh, and been guests for a number of years. And they thought that was such a beautiful place that they talked about getting married. And they'd like to get married there. And so um, I asked them what, what they wanted me to do. And they kind of paused and they said, well, I said, you want me to get a preacher? I know one that can tie a knot and he won't, and it won't slip because they'd both had previous marriages. They said, yeah, you get a preacher. So I invited D up and before we met, I told D, these are great people. They had a church background, but they aren't active in church. I'm not sure if they're even baptized. So I said, let's work a baptism in with the marriage. So D talked about the, the uh, marriage process and, the, you know, bringing God into the marriage and ask them about their relationship with Christ and if they'd been baptized. He gave them literature to read and the second meeting we talked about planning the wedding and they made a decision to come to Christ. So they told me after Dee left, we were sitting by a fire pit and they said, you know, we can't believe you thought enough of us to even bring this up. We really appreciate our friendship and thanks for bringing this up. And my question to you is, do you care enough to bring it up? Mike and Tammy that Hal was talking about were baptized here yesterday at First Christian Church. Duplicating ourselves isn't making Christian clones. I mean, one of me is enough. We don't need any more. But it does increase the number of those in the kingdom. You may think that the job of bringing people to Jesus is overwhelming. It's tough. It's hard. It's too big. It is. It is tough. And you can't save everyone, but you can save one or two or three or even more. You need to be a bold disciple willing to duplicate themselves. Disciples also develop relationships. Chuck Swindoll, in one of his books, tells a story about a drunken bum who's carried to a city hospital. His neck has been, his, his throat has been slashed. Swindoll writes, this bum, this man, had been living in the Bowery at the last stop before the morgue. The derelict's name was misspelled on the hospital form, but then what good is a name when the guy's a bum? He was 38, but he looked twice that age, but no one cared. His health was gone. He was, he was starving. The doctor used black sewing thread to suture the wound. The man was dumped in a paddy wagon and dropped off at Bellevue Hospital where he languished for a few days and then he died, but no one really cared. A friend came looking for him and was directed to the morgue. When this friend found the body, he scraped together the belongings, a ragged coat with 38 cents in one pocket, a scrap of paper in the other. On the paper were scribbled the words, dear friends and gentle hearts. Sounded like song lyrics. They probably were, because at one time this man had written songs the whole world sang. Songs you may recognize, Camp Town Races, Oh Susanna, Beautiful Dreamer, I dream of Jeannie, my old Kentucky home, 
and 200 more songs had been written by this man whose name was Stephen Foster. Now, when we walk the city streets and we see that faceless bum staggering skid row, or we find that elderly person in the nursing home whose eyes no longer see, we are viewing someone with a history. That person was once a baby. That person has had parents. That person uh, uh, has a life that maybe was similar to our own. Discipleship never happens in a vacuum. You can't teach or you can't be taught apart from other believers. This is, this is why the whole C-19 situation is so difficult because for a time, it's keeping the body of Christ apart from one another. We can't assemble in the groups that we're used to doing. But you understand this, the virus doesn't stop us from being the church, from being generous, from showing compassion, from loving sacrificially, or even connecting with others. Granted, it's more difficult, more challenging, but it's not impossible. How do we develop relationships? Jesus said, a new command that I give you, love one another. Well, Jesus, I don't have trouble loving my wife or my siblings or my children. But he said, as I have loved you unconditionally and without reservation and sacrificially, so you must love one another, even those that are difficult to love. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. Listen how, how the love of Jesus from someone, share the life, uh, change the life of someone else here at the church. Oh. All right. Hi, I'm Sherry Sutton, and I've been at First Christian Church all my life so far. <laughs> um, I have to say that Gary Coleman made the biggest impact in my life. He was our youth minister at the time. He came to Sunday school one day, and he asked all of us uh, high schoolers, do you want to be a leader or a follower of Christ? And he said, no matter what, you do it with love. And as I go and be a leader and a follower for Christ, I always find myself doing it with love. Each of us come from the same situation, maybe not regionally, and maybe we're not from the same socioeconomic background. We may not be the same age, race, gender as that person who lives next door to us, but that unconditional love of Jesus shows us how to love. And it is with that kind of love that relationships develop that lead the loss to Christ. When we become a disciple, it means we also deepen our faith. When Philip was called as the first deacon there in Acts chapter 6, I doubt that he felt qualified for the job. He's probably thinking, dear God, I don't know how to take care of all these women. But in the sixth chapter of Acts, it says that the church was told to choose men that were full of the spirit and wisdom. God saw something in Philip that he may not have seen himself. And yet Philip stepped out in faith and, and God directed him in that ministry. So Philip comes to Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, he's bold in faith, but he's going in a difficult territory. The Jews avoided Samaria like they would avoid the plague. It was a land of, of half-breeds, Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles. They wouldn't walk through there. They'd go around the border, going to the outside to go to the northern kingdom. Their attitude would be, I wouldn't walk across the street to spit on a Gentile on a Samaritan. The Samaritans were seen as people who had betrayed their culture, they had betrayed their faith, and they had betrayed God, according to a Jew. But, but Philip stepped out in faith. He intentionally listened and obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And now he's led by the Holy Spirit to present the gospel to this stranger in a chariot. We pick up in verse 34. 
The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. He, he taught him Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water and the, the eunuch asked or said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Later on, it says the eunuch, having been baptized, went on his way celebrating, rejoicing. Faith and the Holy Spirit had walked Philip up to that chariot. Intentional discipleship equals intentional faith, a growing, deeping, dynamic, powerful faith that can change lives. David said it this way, be strong and courageous, do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. Did you get those words? Your faith as a disciple is to be a growing faith. Be strong, be courageous, do the work. Don't be afraid. Take that step. Trust God. Speak out for Jesus. Take the high road. Your faith doesn't grow unless it is being exercised every day. 45 minutes watching a church service on TV isn't, isn't going to do it. That's not enough. A growing intentional faith is a way of life. But there's one more characteristic that we see here. Disciples who are bold disciples are desperate for Jesus. Now, there are two kinds of desperation. One is born out of fear, out of anxiety. Man, I, I'm afraid of this deadline. I'm afraid of that obligation. I, I'm afraid of speaking in public, which is the second greatest of all fears. I'm afraid of the uncertainty. What am I going to do next? There are those kinds of, of, of fears coming or kind of desperation out of fear. But there's also the desperation that comes as a result of an intense desire. There's a story of the, the serviceman who returned from active military duty and surprises his mom in a restaurant. He's desperate to see her, to see his family, to see his home, to see his dog. There's the man who's been walking across a parched desert and his, his lips are dry. He is desperate for a cool drink of water. There's that man who in desperation is seeking that, that hidden treasure. He's driven by desire. David said, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul is desperate for you by God. My soul is desperate. It thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? David said the deer pants for water, desperate to slake its thirst. Without water, that, that animal will die. The Apostle Paul said, I am desperate to know Jesus and his grace. I'm desperate for listeners who will listen and receive that grace and, and have salvation in Jesus. I am desperate to preach the gospel as long as that's possible. Paul told the church in Corinth, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Later on, he told the church there, for when I preach the gospel, I can't boast since I am compelled. I'm desperate to preach, he said. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel of Jesus. I want you to hear the story of a man who is desperate to preach Jesus. My name is Andrew Grohl, and I've been attending uh, Greenville First Christian Church for about two years. And um, a couple years ago, um, I was asked um, if, uh, if I wanted to uh, leave my job and uh, maybe go to East St. Louis and, and work with some other men um, teaching um, inner city youth and adults um, various skills and uh, 
but under the umbrella of um, Christianity, of uh, sharing the gospel with them. And uh, I decided to, to leave my job and, um, and uh, take that opportunity. And uh, one of the, one of the uh, boys that uh, I was able to, uh, to friend down there and uh, start mentoring, discipling, um, his name was Monte. And uh, when I met Ramonte, he's 15 years old, and uh, God gave me the opportunity to uh, pour into this young man and uh, share the gospel. And probably about six months ago, um, he accepted Christ, and I was actually baptized here in uh, Greenville. And uh, it's just a story of um, how God can use somebody just simple like me, just, you know, just your average Joe. Um, but when you're faithful and you pray and you, and you listen to what God wants you to do and, uh, um, not lean to your own understanding, but to his way, um, what can happen? Mm -hmm. And for Monte's what happened? <laughs> and, uh, actually I went to his graduation today at Eastside High School, um, just just shows you what Jesus can accomplish through the least of these. So. When was the last time that you were desperate for something? That, now I know that, that we're all desperate for something at one time or the other. We're desperate for an internet that works or the latest fashions. We're desperate for a higher salary or a job promotion or a strong family. We're, we're desperate to return to worship in our building. I, I understand. But there are people who are desperate for healing and security. They are desperate for comfort and for hope. They are desperate for answers and for peace. When was the last time that, that you were desperate for Jesus? Clarence Jordan, who was the author of the Cotton Patch New Testament, was getting a red carpet tour of a, another minister's brand new church building. This host minister pointed to the brand new imported pews, the, uh, the beautiful new carpet, the, the gorgeous decorations. They stepped outside just as the sun was setting and a spotlight was shining upon a large cross on top of a massive steeple. The host minister said, that cross alone cost us $10,000. Jordan responded by saying, you got cheated. Times were when Christians could get them for free. Martin Luther wrote, a religion that gives nothing, that costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. A bold, intentional disciple is desperate for Jesus. Every believer needs to be a disciple. And a bold disciple duplicates himself, and he develops relationships, and she deepens her faith, and, and they're desperate for Jesus. When I was coaching tennis at St. Louis Christian College years ago, I asked the team, do you want to win? Fine, you'll practice hard. You'll take care of your equipment. You'll get to practice on time. You'll practice hard. You'll eat well. You'll get good sleep. You'll practice hard. You want to win? You've got to be willing to pay the price. Being a bold disciple means that there is a price. There is a cost. Jesus said, to be my disciple, you must love me more than these, more than your family. Doesn't mean you don't love your family less, but you love Jesus more. Jesus said to be a bold disciple, you deny yourself to take up my cross daily and you follow me, Jesus said. 
maybe this morning you're wanting to know, how do I become a disciple? Please call us here at the church. Call Tyson, myself, Jesse, Matt, Harris, Michelle, other ministry leaders, and be glad to tell you what a disciple of Jesus looks like and how to become one. How to confess the name of Jesus, how to be buried with him in baptism and be raised to be that learner, that disciple, that student of Jesus. Maybe as a disciple already, you're struggling and, and you need someone to pray with you. Again, call us. We'll visit with you. We'll pray with you and, and pray that God gives you the strength through the Holy Spirit to be the kind of disciple that changes the world. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you that you've given us an opportunity to examine a bold disciple of Scripture. And Father, may we share that same boldness through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to speak openly, to speak well, to share from our hearts, to develop those relationships, to be desperate to find those who do not know you and share with them the salvation that you so freely offer. Thank you, God. Thank you for worship. Thank you for the intimacy that we have in worship that you have brought about to us through Jesus and for the fact that he has called us as disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.